0: Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, we're welcoming back Scott Taylor. Known as the Data Whisperer, Scott is a globally recognized thought leader and consultant on the strategic value of proper data management. As principal of MetaMeta Consulting, he provides data evangelism as a service to help enterprises and tech brands tell their data story by focusing on the why of business alignment rather than the how of technical implementation. Scott has been a guest before, and uh, it's great to have you back, Scott. Welcome. Thank you, Anthony. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. So you are here this week, and we're gonna be talking a lot. We'll talk about your, your new book uh called Telling Your Data Story. Data Storytelling for Data Management. There we go. We gotta we make sure we plug our guests' uh <laughs> work on this show. Um and and we're we're here to talk about data storytelling. Like, like first and foremost. That's that's why we're here today. And you know, we'll see where it takes us. But I think the the first question that I have for you is What compelled you to write a book on data storytelling? Like, what was it where you were like, you know what? The the world needs another book. And this book needs to be this one. Because I know what it takes to write a book. You got to care about it. What is the telling your data story story? Like that? I was was listening to the whole market, right? That's what we do. We try and sort
1: of listen to where the market's going. What are people talking about? And I heard all this conversation around data storytelling data literacy, the data science field. And I went, where's the voice of data management in all this? Mm. I didn't hear it. And you and I both you know, love that part of the business. How do you get that foundation right? How do you get data management, data stewardship, MDM, RDM, all those foundational things set? And as usual... A lot of the big trends, a lot of the hype, a lot of the buzz and hum and heat and excitement is around the analytics side of the business. Mm -hmm. So looking at data storytelling, there are about 20 or 30 books on data storytelling Hmm. for analytics. Uh, There were zero books on data storytelling for data management. So that was the impetus for me to jump in and say, all right, there are two kinds of data storytelling out there. One with data, which is the classic kind of one that everybody knows, Mm -hmm. analytics, business intelligence, data visualization, that sort of thing. But there needs to be another story you tell, which is about your data. Why Managing your data is important at a strategic level. So it's right. not a choice. I think there's two kinds of data storytelling out there. Stories with data for analytics, stories about data for data management, and every organization needs to know how to do
0: both. Right. So help me understand the audience for this book, because it I'm guessing that you didn't just write this to be read by data management professionals alone. Am I correct in that guess? That's my core audience. Sure. So it would still be a good guess. There's you want a broader audience,
1: but I was really focused on folks like you and I and a lot of the people we talked to these great, you know, practitioners, data leaders who really own and have managed data long before it was cool. Mm hmm who I found struggle and get frustrated with the fact that the business side doesn't understand why they're doing it or why it's so important or think it's strategic at all. So So the core audience for that book are the data management practitioners out there who are trying to get senior leadership to fund their data management programs, to get business stakeholders to be involved in data stewardship, data ownership, all those great things that we always talk about and understand why, but Mm. they don't. So that was my core audience
0: for the book. Yeah. So, so I'm guessing that. So what's exciting for me as being part of that core audience and I, and as it's, as it's clear to everyone at this point i have not yet gotten my hands on a copy of the book so that will change we got to you
1: up with that sorry about that but yeah.
0: <laughs> but but this is actually kind of fun from from not having been able to read it yet is is thinking like because you're targeting a data management audience because because our audience is one that i think is often overlooked in in Many organizations, because of that focus on just the analytics side, the usage of that data and and that piece, but data management, there's a lot of upstream activities that happen before you get to that use of that data. So I'm guessing you're able to get into a level of detail that if you had approached it like I was originally thinking of, like a much wider audience, that message would be too diluted to be as um, helpful to our community as it would be um, in, in what you've actually done.
1: Absolutely. The core audience there, and that was the inspiration. The folks I've worked with my entire career mm-hmm. who tend to have this ongoing frustration, this challenge, how do we get funding? How does it not be a project instead of a program? One of my favorite comments so far that somebody's made about the book and a review was a must read for anyone trying to get funding for their data management program. That was like, yes, that's exactly what I want people to feel about it. And there's plenty of help for all the other kinds of data things. Mm -hmm. And I'm published by Technics Publications. They publish the DMBAC2. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, legit core audience focus on helping data managers do a better job. Yeah. And I just tried to put the techniques that I've used my entire career, having been on the selling side or the marketing Mm -hmm. side of a lot of data management services, Mm -hmm. That's where I heard this frustration a lot of common themes I heard challenges objections concerns those things I tried to distill down in some really business accessible nuggets that folks like you know you and I and the other peers that we work with can use mm-hmm. and I say right in the intro I'm not going to teach you how to do data management I don't haven't don't have the kind of experience a lot of the folks I'm writing for have right. So what I hope I can do is give you a better way or a new way to talk about what you already know. That's my objective. How to tell that story in a way that gets your CEO to go from, I have no idea what you're talking about, to how do we live without this? That's what we want from those kind of stakeholders. We want them to realize the excitement, the passion that you and I carry in this space and and see that it, it should be a strategic it should be
0: part of the strategic discussion at every organization. It, it's so true. And that message, oftentimes, like if if we're not thinking about telling a story, if we're not thinking about like wrapping in an audience, and this is one of the things that I always relate to you on when we get when we get going talking, like we we, we naturally have this um, thread of, of wanting to be entertaining or wanting to tell a joke, or wanting to get interest beyond just the topic at hand. And if anybody in data management, like who hasn't had the experience of going in, starting to talk about something like data quality or, or data governance and immediately losing the room immediately see it phones up. Nobody's paying attention, yawns. Like it's just a question of how polite are they being about it? It's not even like, so if we can't, if we can't hook them into something about something relevant to them data management is is a problem for other people and and really data management is so core to the leadership of businesses today and beyond that it's incumbent on those of us who understand how the sausage is made how that how that you know the workings of data management actually function it's up to us to find that way to translate that in a way that can be understood and appreciated by that leadership that exists in our organizations?
1: That's the core purpose of the book, to give people those examples, to give them some techniques, to show some data stories that don't look like their data stories. How do you pick apart your company's strategy? We talk all the time about you don't have a data strategy, you have a data, you do data work to enable your business strategy. Right. So, how do you take that business strategy that doesn't use words like data quality, that doesn't even talk about master data or reference data or even data management uh, activities? How do you find that connection? That's what our peers need to do is find that connection to show how these two things and you know how data management enables so many of the things that an organization is trying to do,
0: right? Right. So I, I love to ask, ask my guests, uh, impossible questions. So I'll Uh just preface this with that. (laughs) Um, but my, my question is, so I'm in data management and I need some dollars to do the thing that I want to do. What's the most important advice for somebody who has that meeting this afternoon for like make or break on a project proposal internally. We'll say not, not, you know, externally, but just like, How do we move the needle in a way that we can start to do the work we know is necessary, but haven't yet figured out how to make it happen? The number one
1: thing is how what you were that program you've got, how it's going to enable the strategic intention of your enterprise, how it's going to help your company deliver value to your relationships through your brands at scale. Mm -hmm. To be a little more specific you wanna know the top two or three objectives of your company. Mm -hmm. And you have to tie those directly to the output of data management. And go in there with the confidence that those things are not going to happen unless you've got the right data behind those
0: ideas. Mm
1: -hmm. An example, why digital transformation as, you know, whatever, fill in the blanks, transforming your customer experience, moving from Selling our products and our widgets to licensing the value of those as a service. That's a very strategic board level direction that a lot of companies are taking. Mm-hmm. How do we go into a subscription model rather than a selling, you know um just uh, pieces model, that sort of thing? All of this stuff doesn't happen without good data management. You right. uh, you and I know that, but it's not apparent. <clears throat> so the techniques are finding those clues and finding those hooks to make sure people realize if we need to be a better partner with our um, customers and and vendors out there, we're going to create a new vendor portal or we're going to have a new go-to-market, do you have the data structured and governed in a way that will will support those ideas? Hmm. There are people, and you know them, we've met them, on the business side who want to do something digital, and then you say, well, that's going to take data, and they don't even see that connection right so you know <clears throat> digital needs data data needs data management that's the two move you know checkmate for 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 that connection you've got to show that direct connection versus what i think a lot of people do which is talk about for instance data quality for the sake of data quality that's the goal mm-hmm. and when that's the goal people don't know why that's a goal unless you're in that data quality group.
0: You know, in, in listening to you talk about this I, and I, something just occurred to me that I find it almost embarrassing that I haven't talked about before. But I want to ask you your thoughts on this, because I think it's it's kind of commonly talked about how data management or, or, or just the work of data or data leadership, pick whichever modifier you want. It's all about change management and, and affecting some sort of um, – some sort of, of transformation of some kind a lot of the time. But I think about it, too. And, and for some reason, the way you just put the words together, it's got me thinking, is in, in the sphere of data management, how much of data management is really about change and change management and transformations and all of that? And how much of it is really about providing some core operational capabilities and services to your organization, and maybe it drives change further down or, or what have you, but I think there's two very fundamentally different pieces to data management, and I'm trying to figure out how do how do those connect and then how do those connect into selling what it is that you're looking to do through your data story to management so that's how I think it, it kind of ties back. So what are your thoughts on this? I'm just kind of I'm just pulling on a thread without a full fully formed thought
1: if you don't have those core operational elements in place, then actually the rest of it doesn't matter. If you don't have the highly structured foundational data on the classic master data domains, customer. So that's why I picked the words relationships and brands, Mm -hmm. because those represent kind of groupings of, classic master data domains relationships customer vendor partner prospect brands services offerings Mm -hmm. you know ingredients materials that go into constructing or or manufacturing whatever you make you don't have those right then all the talk about change management all the rest of it doesn't matter so you've got to i think you've got to have build that bedrock and have that in place or at least that's a core part of it no matter what and that becomes the 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 piece parts of your story. Again, how can we be better partners with our relationships if we don't have the data to back it up? How can we transform our customer experience if we don't have that data to back it up? How can we in the time of COVID move into e-commerce suddenly or collaborate on a global basis with all our employees scattered all over the world in home offices if we don't have that data foundation and we don't have the data to back up those ideas. So that's kind of my feeling on some of that stuff. You gotta, I talk a lot about, you gotta have that balance though, between the how and the why between the sizzle, which is more the why and the steak, which is the how Yeah, you can't go too far on either pole. It has to be this, this combination. It has to be this blending of both of those and the balance that a a narrative provides for you.
0: Yeah. The, and, and, I imagine – and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that you you wrote most of this book probably pre-COVID, right? Like this was – do you have anything either in the book or – in In your perspective today, drawing from this kind of lockdown quarantine world that we live in at the moment with the pandemic hopefully it's it's thawing and we're coming out of it. But what have we learned during this because you mentioned like we know that data has become even more important. How does that manifest? like how do you even tell your data story when we 're all on you know zoom calls and Google meets all day?
1: Well, telling the story, a lot of questions in there. I mean, telling a story you got to be able to do no matter what medium, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're in a room, that's great. If you're not, you've still got to construct that narrative Mm -hmm. in plain language on a, you know, black and white piece of paper or just a plain Word document. A lot of people ask me, you know, how do you start? You start just typing out the narrative. You know, what are the things, the points you want to make and and so on. I did most of the work that I pulled from, to write the book was pre COVID, mm-hmm. but I did it as my COVID summer project last ah. year. Cause I realized after thinking about it for a couple of years, making the leap to actually commit to writing it, I realized, I'm never going to get this kind of time again. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: That, that for me sense. was if you, you know, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it, buddy. That was my own internal monologue that I had with myself about actually getting it done. Mm-hmm. And I do mention COVID a little bit in there because it became such a forcing forcing function and all of us in the MDM space are seeing reactions to that. I know that the analysts have a huge pickup on inquiries around MDM. The MDM players that I work with have you know, seen a, a lot of activity over the last year or so. And some of those forcing functions were things like, uh-oh, we don't have a choice. We have to do e-commerce. We yeah. better get our e-commerce deal, you know, up, up to snuff there, which meant, did you have good product data? Did you have good customer data? Did your supply chain able to, you know, you've got these disruptions in your supply chain. Did you understand which vendors had which categories in which markets? These are all basic, basic stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to, I think overall it helps because if it gave more attention to the importance of that foundational data, that attention's not going to go away. Right. And I believe a lot of people saw the benefits of having it either in place already. So there's a lot of scrambling they didn't do Mm -hmm. or realizing to get to a point where almost existentially we can't survive without having this common data foundation took that leap and they're not going to go back. They're going to keep going and developing that. So
0: Hmm.
1: hopefully a silver lining out of all this COVID stuff is people realize the importance even more so of better structured foundational Master data, reference data, metadata—those three little, mm-hmm. you know, those things always behind the scenes.
0: And and that, I mean, I think that to your point, it puts an exclamation point on the why, right? Like we know why this stuff's important. I think, or or, or starting to articulate that more and more effectively, and it's becoming more intuitive to to kind of everyone. And we're on that journey. Like it's not we're not a hundred percent there yet, but but it's happening. And and I don't know if you cover this in your book, or or maybe there's a a, a prequel book in in your future of. What if you are completely overwhelmed? You're like, this has not gone well at all. But I'm not even sure what to do in terms of data management. But I know we need to do something. But I don't feel like I can get out of the gate at all. Like I can't even I can't even figure out what to do until I'm able to articulate that why, tell that data story. But I'm not sure what that data story is. What What do you have to say about somebody who's in that kind of scenario? Because I, I imagine somebody out there right now is thinking that way. It's like I need to know what the story should be. And then I can figure out how to tell it.
1: Yeah. By, by, for, by the book, it's not a quick one. That's really, you know, the core <laughs> that's, of the book is about that. Yeah. I have a section called everybody's data story where I try to describe in a rather generic standardized way, the challenge that every enterprise has. Mm-hmm. So if you're an enterprise, You've got enterprise systems, you've got enterprise data, you've got enterprise data problems, and those need enterprise data management. And it's 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 a, it comes out of being an enterprise no matter what type of business you're truly in. I think people get too focused on, well, I'm in the healthcare space and it's so specific and there's nothing like it versus, oh, I'm in the banking space and financial is very different than manufacturing. Yeah. At the level I play at the, you know, the challenges, the opportunities are much more the same than they are different. Mm-hmm. And you so I tried to pull out of that what did I see as the common motifs, the common themes, the common trends, the commonality that everybody has if you are an enterprise. So I'm hoping this helps somebody get started and realize they don't need to start with a blank sheet of paper. That yeah. you can take certain premises, like you've got lots of verticals, you need horizontal data. You've got lots of, you know, silos, you need a foundation. I mean, I'm moving my hands like this, you know, up and down because that's how people should think about it. Vertical versus horizontal rows mm-hmm. versus columns. You know, the rows are the master data. That's the reference data. The columns are what the rows are about. Yeah. Uh, um You know, more insight about those rows. So there's, there's some, some basic principles that I think people can grab onto, and then make specific for their particular business. But they shouldn't think that you got to start at a completely different story, because there's so many things that are the same in an enterprise.
0: You know, as as somebody who professionally, I've I've dived pretty deep into a number of different data domains and i can absolutely agree with your premise that this is the patterns are so true across those different specifics and it's if you can understand the pattern and then understand what makes your situation unique from the pattern you get you get kind of double the insights because then you start to realize why there are i mean every industry, every set of data, has its own little unique quirks. Some of them are more important than others. And at the level that we're operating here and, and like trying to get funding for a program or something like that, those differences are likely to be relatively inconsequential at this level. But when it comes to the tactical strategy of doing everything you need to do in data management, you want to be very attuned to that. That's always advice I've given to consultants. It's like, understand the patterns, that's table stakes. But When you can understand the how you twist that uniquely in that context, then you really understand what's going on. And that's, I think, important. Now, speaking of important, this is not the best transition I've ever done. But the most important question I've ever asked a guest ever on this on this uh, podcast is, are there any puppets involved in this book in any way? Oh, okay, No, (laughs) no. Yeah, see, I misdirected. Oh, wow. That was there a totally is, dishonest yeah. question. Yeah, it was
1: a complete misdirection. I mean, the, uh, the Barbara Walters, if you could be a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Yeah. But no, there's no puppets involved. No, no puppets. puppets were harmed or used in the book. There's more puppets to come, though, so we're okay. happy to talk about the future of the puppets of data. Yeah. But I did not bring the puppets into the. And book. And they're
0: not part of the data storytelling strategy. Like they're not. They're not core. Like I shouldn't go invest in puppets if I need to tell a data story.
1: I'd say that's that's advanced.
0: It's it's so advanced. It's
1: highly advanced that works right. I tell store data stories with puppets it is a technique but it's it's not for the faint of heart and you shouldn't do that the first time.
0: You could hurt, you it. could hurt yourself. You could pull yeah. you could pull a number of muscles. Yeah. It,
1: it, and it could be the last meeting you have with your CEO. It's so,
0: probably it, likely if you don't yeah, if you don't have the the repertoire to do it convincingly the way you can. Um, yeah, it's probably a bad idea for for most. Use my wrestlers. videos if yeah, you want to videos. do
1: that. Uh, but uh, proceed with caution.
0: And and for anybody <laughs> who's new to the public conversation, I should give a little bit of background. As Scott is known for, you know, he's he's known for his showmanship in this space, and and, and the space is better off for having it because it, it is it is a unique voice but it's got it to great effect has used puppetry in demonstrating some some kind of core uh, you know aspects in in the data management space is very useful so if, if you haven't seen them definitely check out his videos and, and YouTube channel that's just it's good entertainment and, and it's it may help you in some of the work you need to do to, to you know communicate this to, to the other folks that maybe are, are having trouble relating so
1: thank you Anthony and in a bizarre sort of AI based, categorization process at Amazon, my book is is categorized under performing arts. Okay. And uh, you know, they pick like three categories they put your book in. Oh, so yeah. So it's under performing arts. I ranked that one ninety three. That was my highest ranking in performing arts, which I position as the number one data book in performing arts.
0: Yay, yeah. You can make it's... the data
1: do whatever you want when you want to, but it's
0: I should have a whole episode with authors on how their books fall into the categories. My my data leadership book is in like an education category and an educational wow. leadership category, but has nothing like there's no technology ties in any of the categories. I forget what the third one is, but it's like it's, it's very arbitrary because there's huge disparities and across books that you're saying very similar topic matter. Widely divergent. I really would like ah, to understand that's, that
1: that's that's, you know, Amazon's algorithm for you, AI machine learning, whatever they use. If
0: anybody it, from Amazon or that. anybody else who understands how this process works would like to have a, some commentary on it, please reach out and become a guest on the show yourself. This is this is yeah. a thread I want to continue pulling. on. So let's let's move on from from data storing and uh, data storytelling in particular. And I want to talk a little bit more about this new world we find ourselves in. Obviously, you do a lot of public speaking. You do a lot of um in-person engagements. You do a lot of corporate functions and, and work with different um, client organizations and, and helping them, um, you know, doing keynotes and, and things like that. I mean, your business and, and MetaMeta Consulting has to have evolved substantially over the last year. What, what have you had to do to adjust to the pandemic? And, and how do you think your organization changes – As hopefully we return, maybe slowly, but return to something that looks a little bit more normal in the future?
1: It's been, you know, it's a daily question you kind of ask yourself in this space, especially doing what I did, which now is purely the kind of stuff you're talking about events, content, outreach, sales training. In the previous years before COVID hit, I was building a very nice public speaking business. Mm -hmm. And actually ready to move to the next level, which is part of why I want to write the book and, you know, trying to do much more big time stuff. And I obviously shut down. Mm -hmm. What happened, I just kept at some of the producers and realized everybody's now in the same boat. I got better at talking on, you know, webcam and cameras. I'm working on trying to change that experience a little bit too, rather than just the straight, you know, zoom PowerPoint with a little tiny head You (laughs) know. Trying to figure out a couple of things, but it picked up very nicely, and all of a sudden, I was able to do a whole lot more in a way. So, and and a lot more efficiency from my side. I'm I'm doing a, a Dama tour of all the or the all the Dama chapters, a yeah. worldwide virtual book tour. And I'm now able to do it in a way that I could never do it before. So literally, I have I have a day in March where I'm doing Peru, then Indiana, then Germany, all on the same day. Something nice you could never way. do if you were at to physically move. Around. <laughs> that is a fact. That I is don't a fact. To, I, don't, I don't need to. I don't need to travel. I don't need to pack, and I don't even need to wear shoes if I have long pass If I don't want to. But it's um so there's been interesting that way. I mean, I'm dying to get back in front of people because yeah. there's that energy you get in a room, there's that networking that's completely gone in all of these events. But I'm still keeping really busy on a lot of the digital things, and people are looking for someone with my kind of energy, my kind of expertise to talk about a topic that tends to not get a lot of excitement and entertainment value around it for whatever reason and and so the demand for it is 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 really nice um Mm -hmm. and i think it's going to end up being a hybrid i mean with all of this business meetings and large business conferences i think are going to be one of the last things that come back in my view so you know how do we just keep going and how do we keep engaging with folks
0: Yeah. You know, and and that's one of the reasons that I, you know, myself, I started the podcast was because I I missed having the conversations and that networking opportunity and just an ability to just spend 40 minutes talking to somebody. It seems like everything during our days now are so back to back and just frenetic. We don't get a chance to really think about things. And now, like when I schedule a podcast recording or whatever, I can at least sit down with somebody, talk for a bit of an extended period of time and really just dive into things that we would if we had the time to talk to each other in just a, a conference setting you know and and so like to me that was one of the reasons i started it and then realizing that people started to say you know i like to hear those things i wish i could have that conversation myself and mm-hmm. if we can do it on a podcast now now we can all be a little bit part of that and we can all kind of hold on to that and that's what's what's kept it going and and the fact that it's it's kind of fun like this is this is one of the more enjoyable hours of a day right so it's it's yeah uh, oh it's good to it. do that.
1: yeah same thing yeah you miss that kind of sort of serendipitous conversation you might have with somebody in the buffet line, you know, who knows if buffets will ever come back, uh, where you go, you know what? I thought about that. You know, I might want to introduce you to somebody or I have this idea or they come to you and say, Oh, that was an interesting point you made. And let's talk about it. So all that is completely evaporated cause it's much more formal, mm-hmm. you know, sort of setting up a call and you can't really even engage with people. Um, at that same level, but you just got to learn with, you know, you got to move with those techniques. One yeah. thing I did, was I'm working with this group out of uh, um, Europe. They did a conference, a mass that focused on MDM. It's a group called think linkers. Mm. And so we decided, and we did it last September. We're doing another one in March. It's called the MDM master data marathon. And we do a 24 hour event, which I don't think you could do if it was in a physical room mm. And the idea was, you know, how do we get the whole globe involved? So no matter where you're waking up on Earth in this period in March 24th and 25th, there'll be someone talking about master data. Like I said, you know, master data keeps a lot of people up all night. It's keeping up all us up all night, those two days. But that kind of thing is kind of a fun extension of just trying to figure out how do we how do we keep
0: going? I mean that that's ambitious. I love it. I think I mean it's it's the, the the tagline around how it keeps a lot of people up all night. I think that's a <laughs> I think that's a very apropos uh marketing slogan. I hope you guys are actively using that. That's we're, great.
1: We're kind of plugging that. We got a bunch of but 24 hours it's really fun. We had some people the first time we didn't know if we could do it. Right. I mean, I haven't been up all night since college, so you can't really practice staying up all night. I maybe I could have watched some old Jerry Lewis telethon videos and see how he did it. But it was it was really fun. And we did stay up all night and we, you know, four in the morning, it got a little wacky and we found that people were sticking with us. So there was a small but important group that actually stayed the whole time. And that was really fun. So we're encouraging more of that in the marathon spirit this year. That's what it's awesome. the kind of thing. Uh, you know, just trying to, but, and it's focused just on MDM, just, you know, MDM them last them standing for marathon and, uh, off we go. So it's,
0: it's a blast. That's fantastic. Um, what else is going on? So the, uh, we've had, um, you know, obviously a lot of changes in the, in the conference landscape. And you were talking about how this, um, you know, this event I think is, is a great example of how you can use the limitations of constraints to do something new and creative. Have you seen any other uh, evidence like that? I, I I like to think about those, those cases where some sort of innovation happens due to what is initially a, um you know, a negative or, or some other, you know, lack of a resource and that new creative solution comes up, comes out to be something that you just never would have, have encountered. Have you seen anything else like that in, in your travails in in um, you know, especially during the, these COVID times.
1: No, nothing that's really sort of broken through. I've seen a lot of attempts, and I feel for a lot of the folks trying to figure out how to make that virtual. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the networking part, I haven't seen anybody really be able to replicate. And I think there's maybe a little bit of weariness on just sort of the standard nine speakers in a row, nine PowerPoints, nine, you know. So mm-hmm. it's. It's still in flux there, so hopefully it breaks through. But like I said, I'm trying to do some things. I've watched a lot of folks who are out, way outside the data business, professional speakers, and try and see some of the techniques they use with camera angles or multiple cameras or how do you get, you know, your face next to the slides. I got some stuff that I'm going to try out on this uh, DEMA world tour to see if I can get some of those techniques because I feel like you don't have to do much to have a difference than what everybody's just standard doing and and what what i found interesting is that the playing field is almost completely leveled mm-hmm. if you watch cnn or you watch any of the news shows you've got people looking like us right zoom call a webcam they got yeah. earbuds in they're using the same tool so you know, the 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 professionals haven't really broken the code either,
0: which in a way is kind of encouraging. It's like, well, we're all in the same boat. Let's see what we can do. That's that's true. I mean, there's certainly more accessibility to these kinds of tools. And and thank goodness we are where we are technology wise in this pandemic and that we've at least been able to have video chats like it's no oh, yeah. big deal. I mean, you go back 10 years ago, this would not have been possible, it would have been audio only, and it would have been a much bigger um you know, difficulty to keep things going. Cause at least, you know, at least face to virtual face is better than just audio. And, and, you know, yeah, those, those yeah. quiet folks are, are, um, you know, not seen nor heard. And so that's um, yeah, that's definitely a, an interesting thing. Um, So one of the things that you talked about was this notion, and we were talking a little bit about in the creation of the podcast and some of the work that you were doing independently, but I really want to touch back on this, you know, in a virtual context, everything is so much more deliberate and almost formal, like you use the word formal, and that is so true. Like, that's the thing that those serendipitous moments going back to the conference is like random meeting people, you know, at a restaurant or a bar or a buffet line or just, at, you know, getting coffee between sessions at a conference or in, you know, wherever you happen to sit in that room, just meeting that person and talking to them. We don't get that opportunity now virtually during the work days almost at all. And then even in our um social networking, our virtual networking as it stands today tends to be more insulated and less uh random than we would have otherwise um you know, than you would otherwise expect. It's 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 far more contained than we realize. A lot of the time, it's not like I've gone out and made a whole bunch of new friends on social media yeah. since lockdown started. I lost a few based on political disagreements or whatever <laughs> it also was, but but I haven't gone out and like found new ones. And I think that remains to be a very difficult thing. So I I just want to like. To anybody who's listening, I think things like – like something that's kind of random and kind of sounds a little bit like we're really going to do 24 hours of MDM. Like that's exactly the kind of thing that might spark a a new connection in this time of 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 difficulty in, in making those kinds of connections.
1: Yeah, it's trying to come up with some way that people can just ha- somehow replicate that conversational aspect of it. I don't think you can still – it's hard to do it at any kind of scale without having physical connection. You know, the Gartner conferences I used to go to the big one on, you know, data management three quarters of the value I would get would be bumping into people, looking for people having those chats. It wasn't necessarily the sessions for me. That was the big draw. It was more at the booths and seeing what's happening and hearing kind of the buzz and all that informal stuff that you really get. But um on the flip side, I've made a ton of new friends on social media. So I've been focused really <laughs> hard on LinkedIn. This does not surprise me at all. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I really like, it may sound sort of silly, but one day I just went, oh, it's social media. I get it. And um, I've made all kinds of great friends. And a lot of us are just dying to get in the same room together. But we chat literally every day. Every mm. other day, there's a group of us in the data space who are all kind of doing Similar stuff that I'm doing in different areas. What's really fun is this group I've gotten hooked up in. They're all everybody's really creative. They all have their own voice. They're all doing other stuff. We've kind of created a mutual amplification society where we all support mm-hmm. each other. stuff. And um, there's some data heavy duty data scientists in the group, and I just go, i you know I don't understand what you're talking about, but I'll give you i I'll give you a like because uh, <laughs> I'm much more on the you know business strategic side but it's been that part's been really fun and i don't think i would have spent that kind of time if i was running around doing a lot of physical events so there's some some benefits to some of this i guess
0: yeah you you don't strike me as a person who used your quarantine as just catching up on netflix i have a feeling you've been extremely active and uh well the book
1: was again this was my big COVID project was like can i get this
0: out and uh
1: I did. So hooray. Yeah.
0: So in in the spirit of strategy, so I want to just for anybody who's listening and not watching the audio or watching the video of this, um, Scott is wearing a white ball cap that says truth on it. Okay. So now I'm going to ask him a question about that hat. And that is, why does your hat say truth as opposed to I don't know, something more like data or data storytelling or something like that. Why are you wearing a hat that says truth as opposed to something else? I'm curious about why.
1: Single version of the truth, common version of the truth. We manage the truth. We can handle the truth in the organization. That's my view. I sort of bifurcate our space into two big buckets, determining the truth and deriving meaning. And determining the truth, data management, data governance, data stewardship, master data, reference data, metadata, PIM, the whole stuff that we do and focus on to build that foundation versus deriving meaning, which is business intelligence, AI, ML, visualization, all the things that people do with data. So I try, and that's part of the technique I try to help people with in understanding the value of data. You've got to determine the truth first. Before you derive meaning, it's not chicken or egg here. It is egg and omelet, truth, then meaning. So hence the meaning of my truth hat.
0: That's awesome, and you know I love I I I love the energy and the and I love the message and and this is what you get with Scott. Like I knew that we would have this conversation, and I knew that it would be uplifting, and that I'd I'd end up with more energy than I started the conversation with, and that's that's how it goes. So Scott, unfortunately, though we are we're all out of time. Can you believe it? Like it just it flew by. I don't even know where it went, but it you know we're already at time. So I just want to thank you again for for taking the time. Telling us about your book, being on the show. And it's always, you know, just an absolute pleasure to to talk with you and and learn more about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great
0: fun. I can't believe it's over already, too. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you for watching or listening today. You'll find links and more information about today's topic in the show notes. Subscribe to our show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Algman.com to learn more about Algman Data Leadership and the many ways we can help you become a data leader. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.